Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, James Vickers. You can reach me on Twitter at underscore James Vickers where I write for a Preston North End fan blog, which is at Deepdale Digest. Uh, follow them, and it's got all the Preston North End news and information that you could wish for. Hello, I'm Simeon. Uh, I tweet from at Bucks Royal, and I also write for the Tarvest End, a Reading blog that does news, opinion, and everything else Reading-related. Hi, I'm Paul Binning, at The Exiled Robin on Twitter. I run a website or blog, exiledrobin.blogspot.com, on all things Bristol City. Yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. Uh, as usual, we'll start with making the rounds where each of you get to sort of talk about how your week's gone and the, the games at the weekend. It was just the one game for each team this week with no midweek games. Uh, we'll start with you, Simi, and uh, you played Hull. Uh, sort of tell us how the game went and how the week's been at Reading. Uh, it was a really bad game for us, actually. Um, very lacklustre, very uh, below par. Typically, we dominated possession. I think we had about 74% of the ball as we as we love to do, but we only had three shots on target um, and just looked utterly toothless in front of goal. Uh, Hull took the lead in the first half through Fraser Campbell, some very slack defending from us uh, typically, and it looked like they were going to hold on for the 1-0 win, but luckily John Daddy Bodvarsson managed to nick a goal right at the end. It was completely undeserved. We should have should have lost that, to be honest. And people are starting to question if Stam's tactics are um, right for us going forward, to be honest. He's not direct enough. He's not positive or aggressive enough when we want to attack, when we need a goal. And we're very predictable. A lot of teams will just come to the Medeski, uh, get all the all their players behind the ball, uh, just try trying to frustrate us. And it's working too much. We really need to change things up. And I don't really see how we're going to do that at the moment, to be honest. Yeah, you mentioned there, um, obviously, about sort of the, the concerns sort of going forward. I'd seen quite a few Reading fans on Twitter, and I think yourself as well, talking about sort of while your strikers aren't playing well, sort of playing with a false nine. Is that something that Yapstan's starting to do, or is that something that sort of the fans would like to see implemented? He's tried it a few times. Um, I'm not sure if it's because he really wants to do it um, because it fits in with his system, or he has to, because at the moment we've only got one fit established striker which is Bod Varson and you know, he's only scored I think three goals in the entirety of a 40 game season for Wolves last season um, false nine is an interesting idea that we could use but it will take a lot of getting used to we don't have that absolute specialist um, but it could be what we need um, it's hard really to give any anything definitive when we haven't really done it too much but I sh- I'm sure we'll um, revisit it, especially with Jan Kermigan out injured for perhaps another month or so. He scored 19 goals last season. Um, and he hasn't been able to play this season at all. Um, 
but Reading fans are typically pinning all their striking hopes on a 36-year-old who's retiring at the end of the season who may or may not be up to what he was last season. Yeah, you sort of touched on it there, but how do you sort of where sort of a good way into the season now obviously you and Hull are quite sort of similar placed on the table I think you're actually on the same points just having a look do you see yourself sort of mounting a push for the playoffs or, or sort of what's sort of the general feeling around Reading this season about where the team can finish I think it's too early to decide really um, there's a lot of potential in the side there's a lot of players who are underperforming and I think the tactics need a lot of work Um I'm relatively confident that we'll manage to get over that and sort it all out. If we do and all the pieces start to fit together, things like new players setting in, uh, injured players coming back and Stan working out how to break down teams at home. If we can manage all of that, I don't see why the playoffs are out of reach. But if they don't start to fit together and there's no guarantee that they will, then mid-table might be what we have to hope for. Yeah, just moving on to you now, Paul. Obviously, um, you had a sort of tough-looking game on paper going away to Norwich. Um, talk us for how the week's been for Bristol and sort of some of your thoughts from the game as well. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I couldn't make it to the Norwich game, so I'm relying on reports from my parents who did go and a couple of other fans who I've asked about it. Um, I, think, I think a bit torn, to be honest. I think it was uh, one of those games we were probably a little bit lucky to get a draw. Um Certainly, having run we've been on, but yeah, maybe a bit disappointed with performance. If anything, we just didn't didn't seem to really come out and attack like we have been. But looking back, twelve months is one of those sort of games we'd have probably lost twelve months ago, and we seem to have a a certain added level of resilience this time around. But getting points out of games that we'd have lost last year, I think we were quite um. We I think we drew the fewest games of anyone in the league last year. We certainly had at one point during the season, and that's transformed this year. And it seems to be at the, at the moment, touch wood, some of the defeats turning into points rather than the wind turning into points. So, you know, a good sign in that sense. Um, we All around very positive attitude. We've still only lost one game all season. Um, I was at Harry Redknapp's Birmingham. Um, I think the only game he won, which is a bit of a blow. But, uh, yeah, really good. We've just got eight points out of games at, at Reading, at Wolves, um, home to Derby and away at Norwich, which is a pretty tough run of fixtures for, you know, any side to look at. So to get eight points out of those four games, really strong. Um and yeah, all things are looking very bright and, and positive at the moment. Yeah, you touched on it there a little bit. Um, I think sort of looking back through your form, you know, you scored two goals against Stoke, you put four past Derby, you got three away at Wolves. Was this just sort of like a, a one-off sort of, uh, as, as you sort of class it, um, sort of going to Norwich and, and not sort of scoring? Um, or is there sort of an underlying problem there sort of started to creep in? No, I don't, I don't think there's any real underlying problem. The only... Um... I think the only other time we failed to score was a home game against Millwall. That was a very different sort of game. You know, they came and set up with a lot of men behind the ball and we struggled to break them down. Now I think we've got a lot of very quick, pacey, skillful forwards. And for most teams, that's too much. It certainly was for Stokes' first choice defence on uh, one of our Tuesday night. You know, we had Kevin Wimmer at the back who'd cost 18 million quid and he made, was made to look like an absolute donkey by Matt Taylor, who was, uh, you know, not even in our first team normally. So... We've got the we've got the we've got players there. I think we've got the style of play. It's just one of those days, I think, where for whatever reason we didn't quite get going. Didn't seem to quite have the, the sort of maybe burst of attack that we've had in the previous games. And uh, yeah, just 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 one of those days, hopefully. Yeah, and you touched that as well, sort of uh, sort of when he started there reviewing the week. You're eighth at the moment. You know, 
Um, yeah. Only lost one game all season. It's sort of quite a turnaround from how it was sort of last season for you. Do you sort of expect the team to mount sort of a serious push for the playoffs and sustain sort of the good start they've had, or, or what would your sort of um, what position would you be aiming for this season in the league? Yeah, I think there's an increasing level of optimism. I think we, you know, at the start of the season, if you'd said to most fans somewhere between 10th and 15th and not being in a relegation battle, I think most would have taken it. But we have started well. And, you know, it's the calibre of teams we're playing and we've beaten, you know, it makes it look really good. I think the one caveat we've all got is actually we were in a better position than this, this time last year. We went to Fulham and won 4-0 um, at the end of September. We were in fifth place and... Then we lost eight in a row and 11 in 12 and ended up down bottom. So we're obviously hoping that doesn't happen again. I think the team's a year more experienced. There's a lot of young players in the team. We look a bit more resilient. We've added Nathan Baker at the back from Villa, who's made, making us tougher at the back. Um, and Bailey Wright came in from Preston at, in January, who's, who's uh, looking strong for us as well. So, you know, I think we do look stronger. I think probably that 10th to 16th, is now you're thinking you might sneak six, but you know somewhere between six and twelve and top half finish would be a pretty decent season for us still, I think. Yeah, and just moving on to Preston, it was um, sort of a tricky game on paper for us playing Millwall. Um, not many people would have fancied them at the start of the season, but seeing especially how they sort of shut out Leeds last weekend as well, it was never going to be an easy game, uh, and that's what it proved to be. Really, they came and gave what sort of I'd class over the last couple of years is quite a, a Preston North End performance uh, sort of in the sense that they came they had their sort of tactics set out from the start and I've seen a lot of Preston fans on Twitter you know blaming things like the referee and and other things like that which you know it's quite easy to do after a frustrating home game but I think if we do want to sort of push on and and carry on this great start that we've had we need to be sort of a bit more creative on the ball um, going forward we sort of kind of fell into their game a little. They came looking to disrupt the play, break it up and, and put in sort of what would be like your typical away performance for a team sort of down the lower half of the table looking to pick up a point against the team in the top half. And it's sort of funny looking at it. It is what Preston have sort of done over the last couple of years as we've been coming back into the championship and that is frustrating teams. And after sort of the first half an hour, 40 minutes where it wasn't really going to work for us, we resorted to long balls straight away, which, you know, fell into sort of Millwall's sort of game plan perfectly. We we offered sort of fairly little going forward, which is a little concerning that, you know, if someone sits back against us, we find it hard to break them down. We we tend to suit, as shown at Birmingham last weekend, sort of a more counter-attacking style of play. Um and I think the one big miss for us this weekend, definitely um, not evident as much in the last couple of weeks because we've had quite good results, but against teams that are coming out looking to attack us um, and we can hit them on the break. Against a team that's going to sit back, we're really missing Ben Pearson in the middle of the park. Um, I've sort of banged on sort of for the last few weeks about how valuable he is in breaking up the play and being that, that real scrappy player in the midfield. But you sort of don't appreciate until he's out of the team just how good he is on the ball and and starting attacks um, and that was quite evident this week you know the the midfield was almost bypassed somewhat it was you know straight up the line or, or straight long ball up to Hugh Gill and as good as Hugh Gill is and sort of the re, the reviews he's getting off other managers and, and pundits in the division it, it's not going to work sort of every game 
Um, and I think Millwall played their game plan superbly. So disappointing afternoon. Um, we've stayed fourth until Sheffield United won on the Sunday. Um, so we've only dropped down to fifth, which considering the start to the season we've had, if, if you'd have said to uh, the majority of Preston fans coming towards the end of September, you're going to be fifth and only lost one game all season. Um, and I think got the second or third best goal difference in the league. You know, not many would have believed you. So difficult weekend, um, frustrating result considering the run we've been on. But, you know, it's another game undefeated and it's another game we haven't conceded in. And, you know, the positive signs are there, you know, from the start of the season. You can't win every game and there are going to be frustrating games along the way. So, you know, we go again on Tuesday night against Hull who aren't in the best of form. So there's the chance there to you know, pick up the win. And um, if someone had said to you sort of last weekend, Millwall and Hull, you're going to get four points, you know, you'd, you'd bite the hand off. So certainly not doom and gloom from me, um, even though I have seen quite a bit of it on Twitter this weekend off Preston fans. And I think that just shows really how far, you know, Alex Neal's brought the team in sort of the short time he's been there. This time last season, you know, a draw against sort of Millwall or someone in sort of that similar mould, a team coming up, we wouldn't have sort of been too downbeat about it. It's another point on the board, but there's that real sense of optimism, same as Paul mentioned at Bristol, um, that we've had a fantastic start to the season and, and we want that to carry on. Um, but just moving into the first topic today, really, um, it's sort of been evident a bit, uh, sort of looking at the table, you know, there's teams like Sheffield United up there, Preston up there, Cardiff, who somewhat struggled last season. Um, I wanted to talk to you both about... Um, Especially teams coming down, there's been quite a case for it over the last few years with your likes of Villas, your Norwiches, um, Sunderland this season, especially teams coming down from the Premier League and thinking that they're going to do sort of almost what Newcastle did, I'd suppose they're the exception to it, um, sort of bouncing straight back up, especially with the parachute payments and other things like that going in their favour. I just wanted to ask you each why, sort of in your opinion, sort of the relegated teams have been struggling so much over the previous couple of years. Um, we'll start with you first on this, Simeon. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on it, really. I think the problem with the relegated sides is that they found it quite difficult to keep their key players. And those have been, well, obviously the best bits uh, when they were in the Premier League. You look at Hull losing people like uh, Snodgrass a while ago and uh, Andy Robertson went to Liverpool. Sunderland came down and lost. Uh, Pickford and Defoe and it's very hard to replace those kind of players even when you do have a lot of parachute money um, you can't just replace your the, the core components of your team just uh, by throwing money at it I think Middlesbrough are in a much stronger position because they do already have that core people like uh, George Friend and um, and others who they can rely on they don't have to make that big transition when they've become relegate when they've um been relegated um, and also you look at Hull and Sunderland they're not financially in the best um, of positions especially with Sunderland who are not really in a position where they can just throw a lot of money at it um, Newcastle were in a much financially uh, strong position so they could um, afford to go out and spend a lot of money on players but I don't really see that with the um, current crop of relegated sides I think what I, what I was impressed with Newcastle when they did it was their recruitment. I think, you know, coming in, Richie and Gale in particular, I think, you know, he had, there's a lot of these players who do well in the championship. They get promoted. They do okay in their Premier League. You know, and they're, they're sort of 
maybe in and out of the team a little bit. And but I think in, in Richie, who he'd had a really good season, um, you know, well, both getting promoted in, in, in the Premier League. Gale, Gale scored a dozen or so goals in the Premier League. And I think they were really key. And obviously they held on to, you know, as Simeon was saying, three or four more key players. I, I think there's a certain amount of arrogance. I just wonder if, you know, I know certainly Villa fans and Villa as a club certainly thought they were going to go straight back up. Um, I think you sign someone like John Terry and he's obviously the headline and there's no guarantee he's going to be what you want at this level. I think it's a very different level and, you know, what he brings, an awful lot of experience, obviously, in the organisation and everything else. But you might be better off signing a, you know, an established championship centre-half, four or five million, who's maybe 25, 26 and hungry for the game and wanting to prove themselves and get back to the Premier League. John Terry knows he's not going to probably play in the Premier League for Villa next year if they get there. And, you know, it's, has he really got that hunger that, you know, if you look at our club, someone like an Aidan Flint would have or an Nathan Baker indeed. And, you know, you look at someone like a Pontus Janssen for Leeds, you know, I would have, I would have thought you would have gone after some of them and had them in your team and possibly had a, a more, I guess, a together unit, a more team outlook on things and maybe some of these guys have and you know like a lot of the foreigners they sign when they're in the Premier League to be honest haven't obviously really done it in the Championship and don't really know much about the Championship and it probably quite a shock when they go to some of the stadiums on the you know some of the dressing rooms still although it's a fabulous league now there's still some place you go and they must look around and wonder where they are so I just think you know the way to do it is to get the good solid Championship players in the really top you know go, go and pick off the best four or five in the league you can almost do that if you're that you've got that much money, and and then I think you've got a much better chance. Yeah, you touched on it there, Paul. Really, um, sort of echoing what I was going to say. I think the the reason Newcastle did so well, as opposed to someone like Villa, you know, they bring in John Terry, who's that big headline, you know, and as good as a defender he's been, I don't think he's really sort of suited to the sort of the pace of Championship football, really. Um, I think what Newcastle did brilliantly when they came down, rather than spending sort of fortunes on on players that didn't know the division they brought in players like you said Matt Ritchie came in Grant Hanley um Mo Diame from Hull as well players with that sort of real championship experience had been promoted out the league as well and and really knew the league sort of down to a T which I think was key for them um as you said not so much cherry picking the best players but bringing in those players with the championship experience with the quality Um, and none of them were particularly old as well I think the majority Mm. of signings that they made were sort of in their mid to late 20s so in their prime sort of you could say Um, and I think that was sort of really key in them going straight back up Um, I think sort of uh, yes we've touched on the teams like Villa Um, you got Sunderland this year who've sort of tried it to bring in that championship experience but they've sort of as much as I rated Grayson when he was at Preston I don't think recruitment in particular was his sort of best asset he he'd bring in sort of say one every three players that turn out to be a good signing um and I think really for a team sort of a Sunderland's caliber I think they would have done better with you know a a manager who sort of knew the division a bit better um and sort of you know has, has had these players that he's worked with in the past and can sort of bring in sort of the higher quality player. Um, you've seen with Sunderland, you know, they've brought in people like James Vaughan, who has never really, you know, consistently done it at championship level. And yeah. I think they're sort of struggling for that. Um, I think the other reason, um, obviously Newcastle went straight back up, but I think teams that tend to keep the majority of their relegated team together, um, 
you know, they're used to losing week in, week out. And I think they come down with the mentality that, you know, easy season, we'll get straight back up. And I think it's hard to shake that sort of mentality if you've been losing every week. Um, granted, you come in sort of at the start of a fresh season. I think if you sort of struggle in your first game, it kind of sets the tone and carries on from sort of the, the end of the previous season. Um, and I think these days now, you know, a team like Preston, they've we've brought in a lot of young, hungry players. And we go to these stadiums now, like, you know, your Sunderlands and your Hulls and sort of the young players that we've brought in, sort of players like Ben Pearson and Josh Harrop who haven't been given a chance at, at Premier League teams um, sort of from United uh, are eager to impress and sort of prove to sort of their old clubs really why, you know, they were silly to let them go. And I think the the teams that come down from the Premier League, as we've said, you know, take it almost a bit for granted and sort of struggle when you've got these sort of teams that going back probably say five or six years ago would go to, you know, a place like Hull and sit back and, and try and nick a point. Whereas now you've got teams actually thinking, you know, we can win um, and going out attacking them. So I think, I think over the next few years, especially we will see more teams coming down sort of struggling um, unless they follow sort of the, the mold of like a Newcastle or someone like that and, and recruit sort of right over the summer. Um, even if you do get, then get back up to the Premier League and you've got sort of the majority of squad who are, sort of championship players um, I think when they do get back up because they used to win in week in and week out and you know their young players like Newcastle brought in they sort of make the transition then as we've seen with them um, but yeah I think it's, it's sort of an interesting one to talk about and you know everyone will have their opinion on it um, but it sort of ties it in quite nicely to sort of the next topic I just wanted obviously we're coming to the end of September now um, I wanted to get your thoughts on who's been First of all, manager of the month in the championship, um, sort of who you'd nominate, and then secondly, player of the month. Uh, start with you first on this, Simeon. Is there anyone who's particularly stood out for you, sort of manager and player-wise, this month? I think manager-wise, um, you've got to talk about Thomas Christensen, the job that he's been doing at Leeds has been very good. I think four wins from their last five and their top of the table, scoring a lot of goals, looking very good. And to keep Leeds doing very well considering their um, record in the last uh, couple of years of underachieving. I think it's very it's very good. Also, Sheffield United, Chris Wilder, getting them up into the top six. I think they've won four of the last five as well. Um, is a really big uh, achievement for a recently promoted side. So, um, got to talk about him as well. Yeah, same to you, Paul. Um, who's sort of impressed you managerial-wise this season, uh, this season, this month, and uh, sort of player-wise as well? Who's imp- Yeah, I think, well, Simeon mentioned, obviously, um, you know, I think two I would have mentioned. I think Wilder, after a fantastic away derby win yesterday, he's going to be right out there for Mandrum. I think that's a yeah, great result for them. And yeah, to do what Leeds are doing, having lost Chris Wood is a great achievement. I mean, you've got to say Alex Neal as well. I know you've uh, you talked about, you know, maybe once or twice struggle, but I think when... Simon Grayson left in the summer. I think an awful lot of people probably thought Preston might struggle this time around. And, you know, was Grayson the one keeping him up? And, you know, the job he's done since he's come in has been fantastic. And, you know, all credit to him. Uh, in terms of players, I mean, I must admit, I don't watch a huge amount of my own club. So I haven't got a, a great view on it. I mean, the two guys I saw at Wolves were uh, Jota and, oh, I can't remember, Lim- Lim- or something like that. They were super. And Wolves all round attacking play were superb. They were really really good team you know they're gonna 
score a lot of goals against a lot of teams this year if they can keep that up through the winter as the pitches get a bit heavier. Um, I think the performance of the month from the bits I've seen in my highlights has to be, uh, was it Traore for Middlesbrough um, at home a couple of weeks or so ago and he absolutely tore, uh, tore the team apart. He was playing, I can't remember who it was now, but he was just absolutely on fire and beating three or four men and not two balls across the area for a song, a song of Belonga to just tap in and just looked absolutely unplayable. And I think you know, it's one of the uh, highlights only, admittedly, one of the probably best performers I've seen at this level. It's just absolutely superb. Yeah, I think you've both sort of uh, picked the players and, and managers there that I was going to sort of highlight. I think Christiansen's done a fantastic job at Leeds this season so far, and particularly this month as well. Um, you know, coming into a league where he's never managed him before, um, and especially with a Leeds team that did struggle a bit last season, uh, towards the end of the season as well, to pick them up and you know have them top of the table at the moment, he's done a fantastic job. And one of the players that they brought in over the summer, I think, is uh, Lasaga, who's slotted in sort of really well for them. He uh, he scored at the weekend and then uh, flew straight back to uh, to Germany sort of after the game because uh, his daughter had been b- uh, born on the Friday um, and wanted to play the game, which sort of says sort of everything you need to know about the player, really. He's uh, sort of a committed player uh, from watching a lot of Bundesliga, as I do. Um, and I think he's been fantastic for them. Um, and then again, Chris Wilder, as we've, we've all mentioned, has done a fantastic job at Sheffield United. Um, I think it helps with him that he is, you know, a Sheffield United fan first and foremost, and sort of that you can see from the celebrations on the touchline yesterday that he he absolutely loves the club. Um, And I think another player that sort of really stood out, um, especially watching him yesterday, was uh, Brooks for Sheffield United, the young lad who he's been given a chance this season and he's uh, he's really flourishing um, the performance yesterday he was the best player on the pitch you know when you look around sort of the Sheffield Wednesday team in particular where they've got sort of an embarrassment of riches really up front um, for this young lad to uh, to be playing sort of in probably the biggest game of his career so far in a Sheffield derby um, and to be the best player sort of head and shoulders on the pitch really speaks volumes about him um, and I think Sheffield United will, will sort of do a job to keep hold of him in, in January um, if they do manage to keep hold of him I think definitely in the summer there'll be sort of big clubs looking at him um, sort of from what I've seen of him so far um, but that again sort of moves us nicely into the next topic and it's sort of was one that I've been thinking about sort of doing on the show for a a number of weeks, but it really sort of was highlighted yesterday with that Brooks performance. Um, It's become a bit more evident over sort of the last couple of years, but it's something we still rarely see in the Premier League, which, you know, I can't figure out why. Um, And that's managers giving, you know, youth players and younger players a chance in the first team and not just, you know, the odd game here and there in the League Cup, but a consistent run in the team. Um, Brooks, you know, been a a prime example at Sheffield United. Um, Start with you again first on this one, Simeon. What are your sort of opinions on on managers uh, giving youth players a chance? Um, And are there any sort of examples of it at Reading that you've seen over the last couple of years? I think it all depends on the team's... uh situation really depending on whether you are the depending on whether you're the kind of team that are really focused on short-term success uh, or if you want to build something up over a longer period I don't think you can um, impose the same standard on all teams in the division because some teams have the money to go out and sign an established player with a lot of experience who can do a job very quickly for them other teams are forced into uh, playing 
younger players. And I, I don't really know what the situation is at Sheffield United, but I imagine their budget is not quite as big as other teams. So they are more reliant on younger players. Uh, looking at examples at Reading, someone like Liam Kelly's been fantastic uh, last season and this year he's probably been one of our best as well. And in more recent years, particularly under Yapstam, we've uh, been more able to go out and buy established players. But a couple of years ago, say under Nigel Adkins, when the budget when the budget wasn't quite as big and injuries started to mount up, you had to go out and um, play those younger players. And that's when they get their opportunity. Someone like Jordan Abita at Reading, we never thought of as a, as a left-back, um, but it was because of an injury to an established player that a young player like him got to come into the team and really uh, nail down his... Um, uh, really nail down a place in the first team. Yeah, the same question to you, Paul. Um, sort of, what are your opinions on managers giving sort of youth a chance? And is there any sort of examples again at Bristol City that you've seen over the last couple of seasons or, or this year in particular? Yeah, I think. I mean, if I do that one first, I think we've we've been investing a lot of money in our academy for a long time now and not really seen the fruits of it at all. Um, various reasons. I think you know, it's it's some players just aren't good enough. You know, there's not many. You know, over the years, there's not many young players who sort of haven't been given a chance who have gone on and done it somewhere else when they've been released. So I think you've got to say to a manager as well, maybe they've seen that and have just seen that the players aren't quite up to it and aren't quite good enough. Um, but we've had you know, Joe Bryan and Bobby Reid are both in our first team now and they've come through. Yeah, they're both local boys who've come through. I mean, Bobby Reid has been you know quite a revelation this year, and I don't use that word lightly, but he's been superb. He's top scorer in the league, having played up front for the first time in his career, and he's 24. He's been in and out of the team for six years now and never really sort of cemented a role and a position in the team. Um, and it's been partly because he's just he, he's just inconsistent and hasn't been quite strong enough. And I think if you've got players like that who are coming through, as good as they could be, when your job's on the line and it's your decision and which team you've got to pick, it must be a very, very brave, hard decision to pick a a bright youngster as opposed to a sort of seasoned pro. And I know fans probably look at it very differently than managers, but the manager will look at a seasoned pro and he'll know that he won't give a ball away. He'll know that he'll stick to a position he's told to stick to. All the sort of stuff that we don't really see as fans and we don't really understand maybe goes on quite you know, quite as much as it does. But you know, where where you've got to be on set pieces, where you've got to be when you've got the ball, where you've got to be when you haven't got the ball, which manage you know, simplest stuff, but you, you get that experience with a, a more experienced player. And I think if your job is almost on the line every single week, which if you're going for promotion, it is because you have to get up or you're in trouble. If you're down the bottom, it is because you might get sacked any day. It's only really if you're in mid-table from maybe March onwards, there's no pressure on any game. And that might be the opportunity. But I can, I can understand where managers come from, I must admit. And I, I also understand the fans' frustration. But if it was you and your job, what would you do? And I think that's the key question. Yeah, it's um, sort of really at Preston, we had quite a few years of, of not really giving you for chance. And especially when we had Graham Wesley, which um, sort of <laughs> can't sort of find many fans sort of throughout the Football League that will sort of speak highly of him or recommend him. He got rid of the youth setup and, you know, said it was down to cost cutting. But, you know, at the same time, he's then bringing in players for on sort of big wages so you know didn't really make sense at the time and 
there was probably a spell of about seven or eight years where we didn't really see any uh, sort of youth players come through the come through into the first team. Um, and this season, it's it's been quite different. We've had Ben Davies, who's been around sort of the squad for the last three or four years and last year under Grayson was on loan at Lancaster City in non-league football and sort of if you'd have asked the majority of Preston fans they would have said he didn't have a future at the club and it was just a case of either running down his contract or or releasing him and sort of he'd, he'd find a club but he's he's coming this season due to injuries at the back and it's as if he's I don't know what he's done over the summer but he's an entirely different player and uh, you know, looking back now, I'm glad we we've stuck with him. Um, Grayson must have seen something in him to keep him on, and it looks like that that lone non-league footballers has almost toughened him up. Really, he was always sort of a good ball-playing defender, um, sort of a left back when he started, and now he's slotting in at centre half next to Paul Huntington or Tommy Spur. Um, and he looks a completely different player, and I think part of that's down to Neil's coaching. He's he's had the faith. Uh, sort of coming in and, and throwing him straight into the first team and he's he's really flourishing. Um, another one as well, Greg Cunningham got injured at the start of the season and he's going to be out sort of into the new year. Um, the transfer window was still open at the time so the sort of the temptation would have been there for Neil to go out and buy a left back because we were short but he, um, rather than going for our sort of substitute left back, Kevin O'Connor, he called up Josh Earl from the youth team and he's probably been our or one of our most consistent players this season and it's it's actually frightening sort of just how good he is considering sort of the lack of first team football he's had he's he's a left back who and it's sort of a subject that I get quite sort of defensive on nowadays you know full backs or wing backs as they're called their uh, sort of their main job is really to attack and you don't find many full backs these days that's you know specialize in defending first and foremost and and that's what Josh Earl does. He's he's brilliant at the back, um, solid. He's a left back who's over six foot. I think he's six foot two, which, you know, again, has its advantages um, sort of from corners and defending crosses. But he's also got a great turn of pace and he's, he's just as good going forward as he is defensively. And after the Birmingham game, Harry Redknapp in particular, um, just before he got sacked, was he was sort of praising Josh Earl uh, in his post-match press conference, you know, couldn't speak highly enough of him um, said he was the best player on the pitch and that, you know, we'll, we'll have a job to keep hold of him in the uh, sort of January transfer window all summer, um, which must've been a massive confidence boost for the lad. And he's, he's really made that left back spot his own. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Greg Cunningham does come back in the new year. Cause he's been our player of the season for the last two years. So you'd think, um, he just slot back in, and he is sort of while Tom Clark's injured for the majority of this season, he's standing club captain as well. So you'd think he would come back in, but with the way Josh Earl's playing at the moment, you know, it's it's going to be hard for Cunningham to get back in. Um, and I think, given the chance by Neil, you know, he's really flourished. Um, again, not a youth team player, but people like Josh Harrop and Ben Pearson coming in who didn't get a look in at, you know, youth level at Man United. Um, they've come in and shown what they're all about. They've been fantastic for us this season as well. And and part of that reason why we are so high up the table. So I think definitely if, if the manager's willing to sort of believe in sort of youth and, you know, sometimes it is a case of sort of a last resort almost, um, you can't go sort of chucking 10 youth team players in just for the sake of it. It's about finding the right one at the right time. And I think Neil's done that fantastically this season. Um, 
and sort of long may it continue and you know it's it's sort of evident in you know spain and and germany of these youth players going uh, and getting chances in the first team and we've seen it really now with like people like reese oxford going across to uh Borussia Mönchengladbach and uh, sort of getting a bit of first team football there as well where you know he was struggling a bit sort of towards the end of last season for first team football at West Ham and I think English players in particular need to be a bit sort of braver when learning their craft and you know going out to these sort of uh, sort of different countries and learning you know the different styles of playing the different cultures um, and I think you know give sort of more youth team players a chance whether it be sort of on loan in a different division toughen them up as we've seen with Ben Davies or, or you know go abroad so um, yeah I totally agree with that James I think that's really yeah. important isn't it the players and just, just a couple of points on what you said there I think one thing we are doing at Bristol City is we almost look like we're trying to become whether you like it or not the sort of Chelsea Man City style of a championship we've got I can't remember something like 20 odd players out on loan and there's a very definite um, recruitment drive for under 22 players there's when we sign a player He's either, we're almost told as fans, they're either for the first team squad or a development squad. And if they're in a development squad, more often than not, especially with younger ones, are going out on loan. We've got good links with Cheltenham and Newport and Yeovil and clubs like that. And I think we're getting them that experience. And certainly, if, you know, I mentioned Bobby Reid, he's done a bit about the last couple of years. And that's very much a policy. You can see that sort of bedding in now. And I wonder how many more clubs might start looking at doing that as well, if they can afford to take on what's obviously a lower wage for a younger player, a bit of potential. Yeah. They might do that. Um, and what you're just saying about fullbacks, again, you'll know him well, but having Bailey Wright at right back for the last few games because of an injury has been actually quite a breath of fresh air. He's actually, he's a defender. He's a defender who, he's all right going forward, but he doesn't bomb forward and he doesn't get caught out. And we've looked really solid at the back there with him there. And he's he's looked solid. And it's nice having, you know, it's a bit of a Tony Pulis style about it, I guess, having a centre-half, six-foot-two centre-half at right back. But it's just... It's almost like a throwback to having a proper defender and a, a fullback rather than a, an a attacking player who is asked to track back. Um, yeah, so it made a real difference, I think, to how we defended. Yeah, I think that's really sort of, as you touched on there, been one of our strengths this season. You know, we've got the the attacking players and we've got the pace up top, people like Barcus and Mavididi, Robinson, Horgan, you know, all these players who are absolutely rapid. And to have these lads sat behind them, like Darnell Fisher and Josh Hill, who their main job is to defend, which, you know, is, is what a defender should be. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's really given us that solid base to go out and, you know, hit teams on the counter-attack with these sort of three or four rapid forwards that we play with. Um, sort of, you've got Hugel as the, the focal point um, who can hold the ball up well and then bring these sort of attacking players into the game. And I think that has been sort of one of the real reasons why we've done so well, especially hitting teams on the counter-attack. And it's it's nice to see. I've always thought, especially with the England team, we concede so many goals from the wide areas, sort of to go off track a bit. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a, def- a full-back is a defender. Um, and their, yeah, their main job absolutely. should be to defend. It's a bonus if they can sort of go forward as well. Um, and, you know, that's sort of the balance that you're always looking for. But... I think, especially in the Premier League nowadays, you know, you hardly see sort of clean sheets really anymore. And, and the art defending somewhat is, is being lost. It's, you know, more focused on attack these days. And I think, especially for us, you know, we've sort of set our game out on not conceding and then hitting teams and, and countering. And I think that's sort of working fantastically well for us at the moment. And it's, you know, got the added bonus of having two youth team players in the back four as well. So, 
while we can sort of keep that up, it's it's fantastic to watch and, you know, one may it continue. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Um, but sort of moving on now, we um, sort of both, all three of our teams actually, have got midweek games this week, and then we've also got games at the weekend as well. Um, start with you first on this, Simeon. You've got uh, Millwall away in midweek and then um, a home game against Norwich at the weekend. Um, sort of preview both of those games for us and how do you see them going? I'm not really too confident about either, to be honest. Um, we're struggling for form. We're struggling for goals. Uh, we're conceding silly goals um, down our end as well. Um, Millwall's that kind of really tough place to go where, although they don't necessarily have that, established quality at championship level they can still get a lot of men behind the ball and really make it difficult for you um and also we sold him our academy center off jake cooper in the summer so it's a nailed on certainty that he'll pop up with a goal at some point during the match um and our away form hasn't really been very good um under yapstam and we often tend to slip up in these kind of games so although we should be going there to look to win uh, I'm not overly confident. At the weekend, Norwich at home is similarly a very tough game. And at home, I think the fans are getting on their players' backs quite a bit. The, f- the team isn't clinical enough. It's not good enough at creating good enough opportunities. And I don't really see that changing against a very talented Norwich side. Yeah, same to you, Paul. Um, sort of looking at, at your week coming up, you know, you've got a um, a home game against Bolton um, on Tuesday night, and then a tough looking away game at Ipswich at the weekend. Um, yeah. Sort of, how do you see both games going? Well, I think yeah, the, the Bolton one, the greatest respect to them is you know that's the sort of games you've got to be looking at winning. If you you, know, you go go away to Norwich, you get a point, which is all very good. You you've got to then win your home games. You know, it's not to say we will by any means. I say I think the um, the main slip-up we've had at home this year was home to Millwall. Um, you know, Simeon just described they're tough to beat, and I'm sure Bolton aren't going to be coming down to Ashton Gate and flying out of blocks and attacking us at pace. They're going to have men behind the ball. Um, we've got to do something to show that we can break that sort of team down. If you know, we're going to start to get noticed for being high scorers in the league, teams are going to come and sit behind the ball and get get into organised lines and defend against us. So be interesting to see how we deal with that. We had... Um, a flash of how good uh, Jonathan Lecco is on loan from West Brom a couple of weeks ago. So it'll be interesting to see if he plays tomorrow and can break down the, the defence of his pace and trickery. Um, and then, yeah, away at Norwich, I guess. Sorry, Ipswich, sorry. Uh, another trip to East Anglia. Um, 
it's one of those grounds we've had a dreadful record at recently. We never seem to get anything there. Um, I don't know if it's just because it's a long trip and we don't fancy it by the time we get there or not. But, you know, they've had a decent start again under Mick McCarthy. He does a really solid job there. And not necessarily the most exciting job, but I know fans are probably a bit frustrated with him. But he he's, does a good job on a smallish budget. And, you know, again, he's got some of these really good, sound, experienced championship players in there. And I think it will be a tough one. And, you know, it's the old adage, you know, if we can win Tuesday night at home to Bolton... We'll be more than delighted to appoint to Ipswich if we can if we can get that. Yeah, and just uh, sort of to cover the two games that Preston have got coming up, it's two teams that we've sort of touched on in the in the podcast this week. We've got a tricky sort of on paper looking game away at Hull on Tuesday night, which they're not in the best of form at the moment. So I suppose this isn't probably the best time to play them. Um, I think. At the moment, I'm more confident going into away games just for how we set up and, and sort of the speed we have on the counter-attack, as I've mentioned. Um, so it should be a, a good game to watch. Um, and then, you know, comes probably the, the game that most fans have been looking forward to, sort of certainly for the last few weeks um, on Saturday, which is Sunderland at home. It's the return of Grayson, our former manager. And with Sunderland struggling at the moment, you know, there's, there's the opportunity to sort of first and foremost get a result against him um and then secondly you know you never know um sort of it was the same with Birmingham the other week where Harry Redknapp got sacked I mean sort of it wouldn't get much sweeter for a Preston fan if uh, obviously you never want to see a manager lose his job but if Grayson was to you know struggle and uh sort of whatever happens happens against his old club that he he sort of left because he he had sort of more optimism about Sunderland and to see where they are in the league compared to where we are at the moment. Um, there's there's no reason why we can't beat them. Um, and it'll certainly be nice to put one over on our former manager who sort of said that Sunderland presented him with, with a better chance of getting into the Premier League. So, you know, everyone will be up for it. I'd imagine it'll be quite a, a sizable crowd as well with the majority of fans wanting to, you know, um, sort of welcome back Grayson, I'd, I'd hope. Um he didn't leave on the best of terms, you know, sort of leaving us a few weeks before pre-season started. But you've got to remember sort of the job he did for us, especially when he came in and we were down near the foot of the League One table, having been relegated the year before. He did a fantastic job for us and certainly I won't be booing him. But, you know, there's there's always sort of a few bits of fans who, even though he's left and we've, we're doing better than we had done under him at the moment, all, all want to boo him. But sort of the the best way to go about that is to put in a performance and show him that we don't miss him um so i'd be happy with sort of four points over these two games i think they're two of the trickiest games that we'll have all season on paper just because of the the caliber of squads that sunderland and hull have got and you know sort of they were in the premier league um but if we want to stay up sort of around the the playoffs and top two you know pick up some points and, you know, see where it can take us. I think Wolves and, uh, not Wolves, Leeds and Cardiff play each other tomorrow. So one of them or both is going to drop points. So, you know, I think we're four points off the top at the moment. And, you know, come the weekend after the Sunderland game, we could be right up there or we could have slipped back down to mid-table. It's it's that close at the moment. So hopefully get two positive results and, and carry that into October. Um, quietly optimistic about the two games, which I never thought I'd say coming up against Holland Sunderland, but you know, that's, that's just how well we've started the season. Um, but with that, uh, with that, sorry, we're out of time. Um, if you would like to tell everyone where they can find you and follow you, um, now would be a good time. I'm Simeon Pickup. You can find me at Bucks Royal on Twitter, and I also write for the Tilehurst End 
which is on Twitter and Facebook, and we do a podcast as well. Uh, go to the site for news, analysis, and everything in between on Reading FC. And I'm Paul Binning, uh, the Exiled Robin on Twitter, and exiledrobin.blogspot.com for all things Bristol City. Yeah, and as I said, I'm James Vickers. You can find me on Twitter at underscore James Vickers, where I write about Preston North End for a Preston North End fan blog, which is at Deepdale Digest. Uh, we have sort of weekly opposition overviews, player reviews, and sort of everything you could want on Preston North End, so definitely give them a follow. Um, cheers for joining me today, guys, and we'll see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.